want to, uh, first thing this morning, uh, just uh, identify a special family in our church. Uh, I know that uh, you're excited about the work that we've been doing in Rwanda, and we sent a team of uh, several families there just recently, and they're coming back uh, at different times on furlough. So I'm going to ask them to stand now. Chris, here they are, the Shelbys. There's and Jill, is Jill here? She's with the kids. Okay. They've been on furlough, and they're going back at 5 o'clock today, uh, back to their work in Rwanda. And it's been a blessing to have you here. And I just want to say a quick prayer for you. Take off, okay? And so, Father, I'm praying now a blessing on the Shelby family, on Chris and Jill, on uh, Fred, on Tess, and on Cy. We're excited to be a part of their good work. We're excited, Father, to see the kingdom coming to that part of the world. And we ask your blessings on them for health, for safe travel, for unity in the Christians in that country. And, Father, that they will see that Jesus alone is Lord. And I pray, Father, now that you would pour out all your good favor on these good people. And bless us as a church and show us how we can better bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, brother. So you've had the experience before of uh, being somewhere in public and some man starts talking and you turn because you think maybe he's saying something to you and you realize he's not and you wonder, who is this guy talking to? Is he just crazy? And then you realize he's got on one of these Bluetooth things in his ear and he's having a conversation. You just weren't privy to it. So we've all had that experience. So you can relate to a story I came across recently of a priest in Dublin, Ireland. His name is Barry Foster and uh, he is church is parked on this are built on this really steep hill so he was driving recently to his church and he parked his car on this really steep hill now he's got this little cairn terrier and he wanted the dog to stay in the car while he was inside the building for a few minutes and the little dog is in the back seat so its head is down you can't see the dog and he's outside the car and he's looking at the car and he's saying stay stay And this guy walks by and says, "Uh, why don't you just put on the parking brake? (laughs) Well, most of the time, it is the job of a servant of God to tell the people of God to go. And you see all through the Bible, God's prophets telling God's people to go. But sometimes it is the job of a servant of God to tell God's people to stay. And you're about to hear a message like that today. Because God doesn't want his people heading into fly traps. And that's the message that God sent through the prophet Elijah to the son of Ahab. And it's the message God is sending through the prophet Elijah to his people today. So open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 1. And we're going to study today a story from the life of Elijah that I think is phenomenal. And for the life of me, I do not understand why so many people don't even know this story. A lot of you are going to not know till today this story was even in the Bible. Almost hardly ever when you study the life of Elijah does anyone talk about this story. And I think it's one of the most important stories in his life. Yes, Ahab is out of the scene. We saw last week he was judged by God. He was killed in war just as God announced because of his sin of stealing the vineyard of Naboth. 
But just because Ahab is gone doesn't mean Elijah's work is done. Because Ahab has two wicked sons. And God had said, I'm going to deal with both of them too. Now the first son is named Ahaziah. And as the elder, he's the first to become king after his father is gone. So let's start reading in 2 Kings chapter 1, the first two verses. Now after Ahab's death... Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, Moab has been under Israelite subjection since the days of David, paying taxes to Israel. In ancient times, when a king died, nations saw that as a time to move against them, a time of weakness. They often saw the death of a king as a show of displeasure of that nation's God. So Ahab has died as a victim of a random arrow shot. And Moab says, this is the time to move. So right off the bat, he's just become king and he's got a political crisis and it gets worse. Verse two. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult Baal-zebub the God of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. And we like to say like father, like son, but sometimes like mother, like son is just as true. And this boy is Ahab's son, but he is particularly Jezebel's son. And his reign has gotten off to a troubled start. First, he has an unwanted uprising, and then he has... An untimely accident. And when you just become king and your nation finds out that you are injured and seriously hurt, you don't want the word on the street, yeah, he fell off the patio. And that's what happened. He fell off the patio, which, by the way, I still think was judgment of God. If God says you're going down, he can get you with an arrow or with a banana peel, but God can get you. And so he's down and he's hurt. And I believe this in some way was the mercy of God. Because now he's got two really good reasons to turn his heart back to the God of Israel, to Yahweh, the God of Elijah. And in his father's lifetime, God had given sufficient evidence that he is the supreme God. There was the whole story of the drought that he had lived through as a boy. There was the whole story of the fire on Mount Carmel. There was clear evidence who the true God was. But instead of receiving a message from God, he decides to send a message to the devil. Go, he says, and consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, to see if I'll recover from his injury. Ekron was a city over in the Philistine area. It was in a different part of the world. But the God of Ekron, Baal-zebub, was known all over that part of the world as being skilled in divination and predicting the future. Now, Baal-zebub literally means Lord of the Flies. In ancient times, you would give your idol a sacrifice and the flies would hover over the meat. And the flies, the people thought, represented the spirits and the demons And Beelzebub was the prince of demons. He's the one that could make these flies or spirits go away that were causing your illness. It's the only time he appears in the Old Testament, but he appears seven times in the New Testament. 
You remember that Jesus is casting out demons to show the kingdom of God has come. And what do his critics say? Oh, sure, he can cast out demons because he's calling on Beelzebub to send them away. And Jesus says, you better watch it. You're crossing the line you don't want to cross. Just like Ahab, you are being willfully blind to the work of God and giving credit to the devil for what God is doing. You don't want to go there. It's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, can a block of stone predict the future? No. But demons can. Now, I want you to give me a chance today. Because I know that we're in the 21st century. And I know that when you start talking about the spirit world and demons... It's easy to get real skeptical. I think that is part of Satan's genius to cause us to believe he doesn't even exist anymore. I want you to look, though, at what the New Testament says in 1 Corinthians 10. Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, just a block of stone. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. And so that block of stone in Ekron that had this widespread reputation for divination was in fact a base of operation for the demonic realm. And King Ahaziah is willfully ignoring one of God's strongest admonitions to the nation of Israel because that part of the world that the Israelite nation came to was known for its detestable devotion to the occult, to witchcraft, to sorcery, to magic arts, to divination, to seances, to speaking to the dead. Listen to what God said to the nation under Joshua just before they entered the land in Deuteronomy 18. When you enter the land of the Lord your God's given you, Do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. This was the judgment on the Amorites. This is why God let Israel have their land. Because they were sold out to the demonic realm and to the occult. And it's detestable to God. In fact, the law of God says people who do these things, I want you to put them to death. We're talking about real evil here. Not pretend. The prophet Zechariah would say in chapter 10, idols speak deceit. Now, stone doesn't speak, but demons do. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. The Old Testament is filled with warnings. Israel is never to open doors God wants kept closed. And God refused To have this insult to his majesty carried out. 
And so God sent Elijah and said, the king wants to know about his future, does he? Well, you can tell him it looks something like this. Let's read verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. And the messengers returned to the king. Notice, he asked them, Why have you come back? Because he knows you couldn't have gotten to Ekron and back so quick. What happened? Why are you back? They said, a man came to meet us. He said to us, go back to the king who sent you and tell him, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel? You're sending men to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. Therefore, you will not leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. And the king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you? And told you this. And they replied, he was a man with a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. See, they didn't know who he was. Elijah had been off the scene for several years and they didn't even know or recognize him. See, it was important to God that this convoy not even get to Ekron. He didn't want Israel and he didn't want the surrounding nations to hear of such an insult to the identity of the God of Israel. And it's amazing to me that even though they don't know who Elijah is and they don't recognize him, they obey him. Now think about that. They're under orders from the king to go to Ekron and this guy has such spiritual authority just emanating from him, they turn around and disobey king's orders and go back. And so Ahaziah got his oracle, but it wasn't from the God he was trying to hear from. And he and Jezebel weren't about to let this challenge to Baal go unanswered. So look at now what happens. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. And the captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. And Elijah answered the captain, If I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And then fire fell from heaven And consumed the captain and his men. You see, Ahaziah forgot something that his daddy had learned. You don't catch Elijah. Remember when Elijah announced a drought and Ahab spent three years trying to find and catch Elijah and God wouldn't allow it. You don't catch Elijah. So this guy shows up and no doubt this captain and these 50 men are committed Baalist soldiers. And so when he's shouting up, man of God, come down. What's he mean by that? Well, either he means you're not really a man of God, because if he's really a man of God, you wouldn't be doing this. You'd disobey your king. Or else he means you may be a man of your God, but I'm sent by my master's God, Baal, and my God is telling you and your God to get yourself down here. Well, the man of God did not come down, but the fire of God did. 
Because just like he did on Carmel, God was making a statement. I can meet Baal on any battlefield. But God's fire only made Ahaziah's contempt burn hotter. So let's keep reading. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. And the captain said to him, man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. He's even more insolent than the first captain saying, you come down quick. Now imagine he's saying this and around him are the burned carcasses of 50 soldiers. And he's still giving Elijah orders. So Elijah says, well, let's let God decide if I'm a man of God or not. And the fire of God fell. So, verse 13, the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. Now, how would you like to be that guy? But this third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged. Please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servant. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now have respect for my life. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. It's almost as if Elijah was saying, all you had to do was ask nice. (laughs) But why did the angel of the Lord tell Elijah not to be afraid? Remember, where is he going? He's going to the palace of the king. Who lives there? Jezebel. What happened the last time he was around Jezebel? She gave him a 24-hour death threat. And it totally freaked him. And he got depressed and ran off into the desert and tried to run away from his ministry. And now God is saying, you go right to her house. And don't be afraid. So he does. This time God's servant is not going to flee the queen of the flies. And so let's read. He told the king. This is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel for you to consult that you've sent messengers to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died. According to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. And do you notice, apparently, Elijah just walked right into the enemy's lair, gave the word, walked right out. And nobody, apparently, was very fired up about trying to arrest Elijah. But apparently, nobody was burning with a desire to repent either. After all that's happened, that king on that bed doesn't beg for mercy or healing or forgiveness His soul was completely trapped by the flies. And just like his father, he experienced the undiluted wrath of God. And let me make a quick point, folks. Remember this. 
God doesn't pour out his wrath on idols. God pours out his wrath on idolaters. The stone in Ekron was still standing up. But the king was brought down. Now, again, we've got a challenge. What are we going to do with a story like this? Because to my knowledge, there is no temple to Baalzebub in Tarrant County for me to tell you not to go to. But do not be naive. This story is in your Bible for a reason. And I want to share two of them with you. Number one, it teaches us to turn away from counterfeit fears. See, it's good to see Elijah acting like the old Elijah again. Bold, brave, courageous. Before he had been afraid of Jezebel. And what is the typical Fear management response. Avoidance. Go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned and were afraid of God, they hid. And typically, we try to avoid what we are afraid of. The Bible has a better way to conquer fear. Get a bigger and better one. The fear of God is the remedy for bogus Fears. Look at Isaiah 8, 13 with me. Do not fear anything except the Lord Almighty. He alone is the Holy One. If you fear Him, you need fear nothing else. In other words, when the fear of God is present, the fear of everything else is absent. Let me tell you how I learned this principle. It was the summer after my freshman year of college. And my father... Worked with Sears Roebuck for some years, and he had a position of some authority as uh, the the territorial manager of over many states of the of the catalog division. And they had all the stuff that you would get out of the Sears catalog back then in this huge seven story warehouse. And he got me a job that summer working at that warehouse. I was on the sixth floor. It was unair conditioned. There were no windows, and I loaded uh, uh, pallets with lawnmower engines. It was hot, stinky work. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was our supervisor was a foul-tempered man. And he was constantly swearing and grumbling and chewing us out. And you couldn't keep him happy. And he scared me to death. I was totally intimidated by this guy. Well, one day during lunch break, my buddy and I, we got some uh, to eat. And we were coming up to six flights of stairs to where we worked. And I had a glass of tea with me. And you know how... 18-year-old doofuses are. We started throwing ice cubes at each other. And my glass was pretty empty, so I took my whole glass of ice and chunked it at him, not realizing my supervisor was right behind him. He ducked and hit my supervisor all down his suit. Now, I didn't know this because I had taken off running laughing. So he comes up. He knows who's done it. He finds me. He chews me out. He grabs that badge and says, we'll talk to you later today and storms off. And I figure I'm about to get fired. And to be honest, I deserved to be fired. My behavior was inexcusable and immature. And I saw him later and I told him my behavior was immature and I'm sorry. And I was prepared for whatever would happen. And everybody around me was just big-eyed because they figured you're about to catch it. Because this was just a foul man. Late in the day, he comes and everyone gets real tense. And he walks right up to me and he starts to apologize. 
He apologizes for his behavior, for his language. He hopes I haven't been too offended and that I would not be angry with him. And everybody is wondering, what is going on? And I am too. And suddenly it dawned on me. Somebody told you who my dad is. (laughs) See, my dad wasn't his boss. My dad was three bosses above his boss. And for the rest of that summer... I was never intimidated by that man because I knew that he knew that I knew somebody in charge. My behavior was still inexcusable, but it was totally cool to not be afraid of him anymore. And I learned a principle. You're not afraid of those who only pretend to be in charge if you know the person who really is. See, God is not in the business of canceling fearful situations. God is in the business of canceling fear in the midst of those situations. 2 Timothy 1 says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So if you're struggling with a spirit of fear, it didn't come from the Holy Spirit. Don't get trapped. Turn away from counterfeit fears, but you've got to do one other thing to make sure that doesn't happen. You've got to stay away from counterfeit gods. Now, here's where I'm going to ask you to keep an open mind. I don't like talking about the devil and demons. The last time I preached on Satan, a lady came up to me later and said, Rick, I never saw the devil so clearly as when you were up there preaching on him. And I know if you talk about demons, some people are going to overreact and they're going to say, well, I had a flat tire because the the demon of flat tires attacked me today. No, probably you should check for nails, okay? (laughs) But I also believe Satan's greatest victory in the Western world is to convince us we're too intelligent to think about him or believe in him. The demonic realm is real and there are certain arenas that give wide open access for demons to affect us astrology is demonic the bible is full of condemnation of astrology Palm readers, seances, crystals, consulting the dead, fortune tellers. All these things are real doors that God wants kept closed. To consult any other source for guidance for your life is an insult to the majesty of God. Ouija boards, buying those dumb magazines at the grocery store that give you the predictions for the next year. You say, it's just fun and games. It's not fun and games. It is demonically poison toxin. I read about this guy named Matt George a few years ago, Washington State. He was down in Arizona 
on a vacation and caught a two-foot-long rattlesnake and decided to make it a pet, took it home. And when his friends would come over, he would grab that thing behind the head and hold it up and kiss it on the mouth. And he was doing that one time, and that snake somehow managed to bite him right under the nose. His eyes rolled back into his head. He fell into a coma, had to be care-flighted to a hospital to save his life. Now, I think two things about that. Number one, someone needs to revoke his driver's license and his right to own a gun. And number two, why on earth would you play with what you know can be deadly? Second Timothy 4 says, the Spirit clearly says in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by Demons. Now, it's not demons doing the teaching. The demons use modern day idols to do the teaching, but it's demons. This is New Testament warning. Second Thessalonians 2 says Satan specializes in counterfeit miracles and signs to deceive the elect. Remember in Acts 16, 16, they had this girl that was a slave and they were making money on her because she could predict the future. She really could. How could she do that? She had a demon. She didn't need applause. She needed deliverance. Galatians 5.20 says, Idolatry and witchcraft is a work of the flesh. Revelation 21.8 says, Idolaters and those that practice magic arts are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So what are you doing checking your horoscope? To figure out what you're going to do today. You need to decide ahead of time. To burn the flies garbage. That's what they did in New Testament times. In Ephesus Paul starts to show the kingdom of God has come. By casting out demons. And it gets the attention of the city. And here's what the Bible says. That when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. They were all seized with fear. That's the right kind of fear. The fear that gets rid of bogus fears. It says the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And many who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. And a number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. Here's what I believe. God has given us everything we need for guidance. He has given us the Holy Scripture. He has given us the church full of people filled with spirit-given wisdom. He has given us his own Holy Spirit to indwell us, to prompt us, and to lead us. Why do we need to go anywhere else? And so sometimes the man of God says to God's people, go! But sometimes God's prophet says, stay. And this is one of those times. You stay away from things God said stay away from. It's not fun. It's not games. It's not trivial. And I'm not some whacked out fundamentalist preacher going over the top. This is the clear word of God. Back in the Sydney Olympics, uh, Kip Legat was one of the outstanding performers, long-distance runner from Kenya. And he was asked, why does Kenya produce so 
many world-class runners. He said, it's because of the road signs. Beware of lions. Well, that's the message today. I'm not saying you go around looking for demons. Just keep looking for God and stay there. Several years ago in St. Louis Zoo, they opened this exhibit called Big Cat Country. And what was unique about it, they created this huge area with rocks and grass for the lions and the tigers to, to live in. And instead of seeing them at ground level behind the fence, they created this, these big bridges over the area so that you could look down and see them. And so just after it opened, these two young moms went to take their kids. One mom had a three and five-year-old boy and she's with another young mom with a baby. And something happened with the stroller and it got tangled in a blanket. So the the mom of the two older boys turned to help. And when she turned back around, her three-year-old and her five-year-old had found a child-sized gap in that bridge. And they had wandered out onto rocks 20 feet above the lions. Called out, Mama, Mama, we can see them from here. Now what's she going to do? If she screams, she scares the boy and maybe she startles the beasts. So this brilliant mother smiles, gets down on her knees and says, Boys, come here and get a big hug. And they scamper on back to safety in the arms where they belong. See, I think that's how the Bible tells us to deal with this stuff. Just stay close to God. Just have a passion to be near God. Just long every day to get into the arms of God. Of God and stay. Just stay. So, I want us to uh, end this teaching just declaring that the Lord God is the only God. He is God alone. We need no other source, we need no other guide. We just need God. We're going to sing that song, and as we sing, if you would like to confess Christ and be baptized, you can come. You know, all over the, the world where they really take spirits more seriously than we do, they take baptism more seriously. You know why? Because they understand that baptism is a clear break from the hold of the spirit world into the kingdom of God. That's what thing that happens. You contact the blood of Christ, and that deliverance is offered. If you haven't been baptized into Jesus, you need to do that today. Let's stand up. Let's sing that song while you come.